A book contract with a leading publisher together with a six-figure advance are the cherished dreams of many authors. But when the author is a controversial figure like Milo Yiannopoulos, others may feel like they are in a nightmare. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. For a nation sharply divided and still riven by the political tumult of the 2016 presidential campaign, it seems possible to argue over almost everything, including a book that no one has yet to read. Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly joins me each Friday with the latest publishing news. Today he has all the talking points in a dispute sparked by a Breitbart News contributor who calls himself a free speech evangelist. Welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Greetings, Chris. Well, indeed, we are in the first week of the Trump administration, well underway and a busy week for the White House. And if this is any indication, it's going to be quite a thorny period for publishers and for libraries. And before we get to Trump's first week, they say for every action, there's a reaction. And this week we saw just that uh, after uh, the latest developments uh following Simon & Schuster's plan to publish the controversial Breitbart editor, as we say, Milo Yiannopoulos. Tell us about that. Yes. So the latest action in the Yiannopoulos story, which we spoke about a couple of weeks ago on this program, is that this week, uh, Simon & Schuster CEO Carolyn Reedy sent a letter to employees and some SNS authors in an attempt to assure those concerned with the Yiannopoulos signing that the publisher will not publish books that contain hate speech. The letter comes partly in response to a letter delivered to Reedy earlier this month that was signed by a number of uh, Simon & Schuster children's authors that were protesting the signing of Yiannopoulos for his book Dangerous, which is set to publish very soon, actually, on March 14th, as a matter of fact, and for which Yiannopoulos reportedly received a $250,000 advance from Simon & Schuster's Threshold Books imprint. So what did Reedy say in the letter? Well, you can read the entire letter on the Publishers Weekly website, but quickly summarizing, Reedy defended the deal and writing that neither Threshold Editions or Simon & Schuster imprints in general will, quote, publish books that we think will incite hatred, discrimination, or bullying. So Carolyn Reedy is doing her best to calm people down, but you've read the letter, and from what uh, you know of it and what you know of the controversy, is this going to do what she wants? Is it going to mollify critics? Well, no, not at all, as a matter of fact. The letter was distributed to employees, too, and that tells me that there's probably many Simon & Schuster personnel who are not exactly comfortable with publishing Milo Yiannopoulos either. But the bigger issue is, in my opinion, uh, that Reedy seems to want to shift the discussion from authors to individual books. Now, it's very possible that Yiannopoulos' book will not condone or contain any kind of hate speech. But Yiannopoulos, he still does. And that, to me, is the important point here. Whether or not Simon & Schuster editors keep his book Dangerous from veering off into the more dangerous territory is not really the relevant point here because Yiannopoulos already is in that dangerous territory and he's going to stay there. And now he's going to have Simon & Schuster money funding him to do so. So no, I don't think this letter is going to work, nor do I think that uh, very many people will find it all that reassuring. All right. So uh, we've had reaction from others this week, too. And the best-selling Simon & Schuster author Roxanne Gay has decided to pull her next book over the controversy. Exactly. And make no mistake, this is a pretty big deal. Uh, Gay's latest book, Difficult Women, is is just out. And since the publication of her best-selling collection of essays, Bad Feminist, in 2014 – 
Gay's built quite a huge following. Her 2015 TED Talk went viral, and she is, without question, an important voice in the literary community and a rising star. Uh, and conveniently, she's actually going to have a chance to talk about her decision to pull her forthcoming book from Simon & Schuster and to rally indie booksellers around this cause at this year's ABA Winter Institute, which is just underway in Minneapolis. Gay is actually set to deliver a keynote address at that meeting. Uh, that'll be tomorrow morning, Saturday. And uh, PW is there and covering the meeting. So look for our coverage on the PW site this weekend and, of course, uh, next week on the PW site. Well, as you say, the ABA Winter Institute is now underway. It's become something of a very popular show in the business over the last few years, one that people enjoy attending, and many authors are there talking about their books. So in addition to Roxanne Gay's own presentations, uh, tell us what else we can expect this weekend. Yeah, so as many of our listeners no doubt already know, the Winter Institute is the American Booksellers Association's post-holiday gathering. And in recent years, it's really expanded greatly with very strong programs, lots of great authors, lots of great energy. And while indie book selling has been challenged for some time in our internet-driven, Amazon-dominated world, uh, the growth of the Winter Institute is really, I think, a positive indicator for our nation's indie booksellers. Uh, I actually sat down and talked with my boss, PW Editorial Director Jim Milliet and got his thoughts on why Winter Institute has seen such growth. I think it is because of the intimacy. ABA had capped bookseller attendance at 500, but they raised that number to 650 this year as interest has grown. But ABA says it will keep Winter Institute relatively small to allow for lots of bookseller, author, publisher interaction. So you can read all of our reporting uh, from this year's Winter Institute on the PW website, as I said, and look especially for those remarks from Roxanne Gay that will be uh, out this weekend. Uh, I have a feeling this could be the beginning of what turns out to be a real backlash against Simon & Schuster uh, from its authors to its employees to those of us in the industry over the decision to publish Milo Yiannopoulos. In just a moment, we'll return with a report on the ALA Midwinter Meeting in Atlanta last weekend. I'm Chris Keneally for Beyond the Book. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. So you did not make the trip yourself to the ABA Winter Institute in Minneapolis, but you were in Atlanta last weekend for the American Library Association's own midwinter meeting, and it kicked off just hours after Trump's inauguration. So in Monday's issue, we'll be able to get a recap of what you saw there. And I want to just ask you, as we kind of follow up on last week's coverage, uh, when you suggested that the uh, Trump administration would be a hot topic at the show. So, so how hot did that turn out to be? Yeah, you know, in fact, Trump had a huge impact on the show. Since December, I've been writing about, uh, you know, how Trump was going to loom large over the show. And at some point, I started thinking, maybe I'm overselling this a little bit. Uh, maybe I'm getting a little too political with this stuff. Well, in fact, it was absolutely as big an influence as I thought it was going to be, if not bigger. Uh, and in a number of ways, you know, first and foremost, the Trump inauguration affected attendance. This year's ALA Midwinter Meeting in Atlanta was the lowest attended Midwinter in 25 
years. And a lot of that had to do with people choosing instead to attend the women's marches around the country. And I'll tell you, I saw a lot of pink hats at the conference center for ALA this year. And indeed, many librarians marched in the women's march in Atlanta, uh, which actually started very near the conference center. And that made for a very, very slow exhibit hall uh, last Saturday at ALA. Interesting. Timing is everything, as they say. But uh, as uh, librarians arrived in Atlanta, so did a report that Trump was planning to eliminate uh, the NEH, the National Endowment for the Humanities, as well as the National Endowment for the Arts, NEA. And that certainly had to send a chill down librarian spines. It absolutely did. The NEH has been a strong supporter of libraries over the years. And in fact, at last June's ALA annual conference in Orlando, ALA celebrated the 50th anniversary of NEH with NEH chairman William Adams on hand, who actually spoke to the importance of the humanities within a healthy democracy. Uh, there is no democracy without the act of memory, Adams told librarians at that event. And he noted that over its 50-year history, the NEH has awarded about 3,400 library grants totaling $515 million, plus another 80 grants to the ALA beginning in 1971, most recently funding the ALA's Great Stories Club. Uh, that's a program that provides access to books for at-risk and underserved youth. And last year, the Great Stories Club put free copies of Congressman and civil rights leader John Lewis's march in the hands of many young readers nationwide. Uh, and it's kind of a twist. Lewis decided to famously skip Trump's inauguration, but he was on hand at the ALA meeting in Atlanta, his home district, we should know, uh, to accept yet another book award for his autobiographical graphic novel trilogy, March. At the show, ALA officials really had no official comment on NEH or on the NEA or any other potential cuts. But on background, they told me that, uh, yes, indeed, they are worried about the effect that this is going to have for libraries throughout the government. And uh, they confirmed that the Institute of Museum and Library Services, which provides millions in grant support to libraries annually, is likely also under threat. Uh, in addition, we have a new education secretary, possibly Betsy DeVos. Uh, she's not yet been confirmed and she is facing opposition. Uh, but the future of a bill called the Every Student Succeeds Act, or ESSA as we call it, that's an education bill, but it includes critical support for school libraries it's set to be implemented this fall. But that also is now up in the air. So I know school librarians are very eager to see that bill go forward, and it's not clear that it's going to. Uh, and of course, the executive orders just keep on coming this week, including an order we learned this week to suspend privacy protections for federal employees who may not be U.S. citizens, which ALA is absolutely discussing and is going to have to address uh, at some point next week. Privacy is obviously a core American value, to say the least. Uh, and this has been a chilling start to the Trump administration for libraries, no question about it. Well, it's a good point. And, you know, the budget is clearly something that people are going to be watching closely. But as you say, there are other issues, privacy certainly being one of them and one of the more important ones. Absolutely. You know, the challenges facing libraries in the age of Trump go well beyond funding or the NEH or the IMLS. Uh, there are fundamental values that are at stake here. You know, just hours after the inauguration, uh, the popular podcaster and TV host W. Kamau Bell gave the opening keynote at ALA. If you don't know Kamau Bell, I urge you to go on and check out some of his podcasts. They're terrific. Uh, and he hosts a show on CNN called United Shades of America, which is also outstanding. Uh, but from the stage at ALA, Bell, who who's a very funny guy, he's a comedian as well, um, was not 
entirely joking. He stood on that stage and he told librarians in no uncertain terms that, yes, Donald Trump is absolutely a racist. You know, people are questioning, is Donald Trump really racist? Well, he answered that question very forcefully. And he reminded librarians that they're going to be on the front lines of many, many battles in the coming years and months. Uh, And he urged them not to let Trump's view of America become normalized. But librarians are actually in a really tricky spot, if you think about it. And that actually was made very clear in a town hall meeting last Saturday at the ALA Midwinter Conference, where more than 30 librarians stepped to the mic to offer their thoughts on how ALA should handle their business. Now, many urged ALA and librarians to stand up and fight hard for core library values, privacy, diversity, equity, inclusion, academic freedom. But others urged ALA to try to act with a little caution because taking such strong public stances could be seen as political and could easily turn Trump supporters' ire and the president himself against libraries. And we could see them targeted for budget reductions and elimination, especially so in conservative regions around the country. So to say the least, we've entered a very scary uncertain period for libraries. And if you look at the gag orders, Trump has already reportedly ordered on federal agencies uh, and his alternative facts approach to the media. uh, It doesn't bode well for libraries. Now, I understand those librarians who say we have to lay low. Let's try to survive this. But to me, frankly, libraries almost certainly cannot avoid this fight. Uh, I don't think there is much choice but to stand up for their values. Uh, and the same is true for publishers, authors, and journalists. We've entered a really uncertain period here, and uh, vigilance is going to be key. All right. Well, freedom fighter in the publishing world <laughs> and, and Publishers Weekly senior writer, Andrew Albanese, thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Book. My pleasure, as always. As the name suggests, the Book Industry Study Group has ambitions to be a home base for publishing professionals to share information. After 40 years, the BISG community is expecting the organization to do much more, though. Appointed Executive Director at BISG in September 2016, Brian O'Leary presented the board with a three-year strategic plan that aligns BISG goals and resources. He told me recently about the vision behind the strategy. I want BISD in 2019 to be the organization that anyone in publishing comes to first when they have a problem that touches one or more parts of the supply chain. So effectively, we want to become a problem-solving pipeline. You have a problem, you bring it to us, we figure out a way to get it resolved. And if we can't, then we know who can. The value of a BISG membership, next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center with subsidiaries RightsDirect in the Netherlands and Ixis in the United Kingdom. CCC is a global leader in content workflow, document delivery, text and data mining, and rights licensing technology. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book. 